Hello, and welcome to Episode 6 of Special Ed Rising, the podcast, No Parent Left Behind. Thank you so much for tuning in. It means a great deal to have your support, and we're just getting started. Today's episode is a special one for me because I'll be sharing my appreciation for and experience with working in the world of deaf education, and alongside a community grounded in their deaf culture. Deaf culture is not something that a hearing person can be a member of, but it's one that we can support and enjoy. I'll give some history on the evolution of deafness in education since the 1988 Deaf Power Now revolution at Gallaudet University in Washington, D.C., offer some cultural perspective, and share my personal eyewitness account as I worked and played side-by-side my deaf brethren during the re-emergence and expansion of American Sign Language throughout the culture and the world of deaf education in the 90s, and the technology that would eventually impact both the language, being the central component of the culture, and the culture itself. It's a fascinating journey, and one for which I will only scratch the surface, as there's so much detail in history. However, I hope it will make an impression, increase your knowledge on the subject, and perhaps move you to want to research more on your own. Afterwards, stay tuned for today's Community Share, where you'll hear some positive news happening in the world of special needs and special education, then special needs trivia to test the bounds of your brain trunk, and another installation of, you know what, guess what? Can I tell you something? So get cozy in the chaise lounge of your mind and point your toes towards another win. We have our own culture, our own community. A lot of people don't realize that. They just assume that deaf people are very unfortunate, very disabled. But no. Niall DeMarco. When I saw Troy Coetzer accepting his Academy Award for his work in the movie Coda, becoming the first male deaf actor to win one, I was once again reminded of and enraptured by the beauty that is American Sign Language, or ASL. The fluidity, the poetry of movement, the passionate, expressive emphasis behind it. Coetzer's signing was mesmerizing, like watching an artist craft life into this cultural gem. Sonic, which was what lured me towards the field of deaf education and kept me there even as I saw its emphasis in academia and exposure to its youngest members diminish. But more on that later. The deaf experience was introduced into my consciousness in 1988. Gallaudet University students had enough of the decades of being led by a president who was not deaf. The first 120 years of the university's existence were marked by growth and stability. The first four presidents each had a background in the education of deaf students, one of whom even had a deaf spouse. Prior to 88, there had been six previous presidents, none of whom were deaf, but all had at least an association with the school and or an understanding and respect for the culture and language. But it was time for change, and the student body wouldn't stand for anything less. The spark that ignited Deaf Power Now, or DPN, was the announcement on March 6, 1988 by the university's board of trustees that a hearing person had been selected as Gallaudet's seventh president. Without going into too many details, this history was and often remains the same at all levels of deaf education. And to add to it, not only have there been those leaders and administrators who were not deaf, often they've had no background in deafness, be it related to education, sign language, and deaf culture at all. I remember seeing the movement televised the year before I had any inclination to step foot into this world. 
it was impressive and probably rooted in the back of my mind as throughout the rest of the next year, I found myself thinking more and more about sign language and its place in my life. Mind you, until this point, I didn't even know the signed alphabet. When I, King Jordan, was elected along with an agreement for a 51% deaf majority on the university board, it seemed that the deaf community and sign language itself had new life and legitimacy, and I feel like I was swept up in its sail. The students at Gallaudet University deserve our congratulations. They educated the nation about deafness and won a long overdue victory for all disabled people. Massachusetts Governor Michael Dukakis. When I began working at my school the year after the protests, the approach being used to teach was called Total Communication, or TC. From handsandvoices.com, Total Communication is a philosophy of educating children with hearing loss that incorporates all means of communication. Formal signs, natural gestures, finger spelling, body language, listening, lip reading, and speech. Children in TC programs typically wear hearing aids or cochlear implants. The goal is to optimize language development in whatever way is most effective for the individual child. Total communication is truly a philosophy, being more theoretical in nature, rather than a methodology which follows a body of rules. This is different from simultaneous communication, or SIMCOM, which, unlike TC, is a methodology. Simultaneous communication refers simply to the simultaneous use of sign and spoken language. I had thought from an outsider's perspective that TC had its place in that it flexed to a child's strengths of communication, but the flaw, as I came to learn, was that it gave them no true language. What was being used by my school was called pigeon sign, better known now as contact signing. According to VeryWellHealth.com, pigeon sign English, or PSE, is not a true language and lacks rules. Sign linguistics experts view it as a way to bridge the gap between native ASL speakers and native English speakers. Native speakers can be either deaf or hearing. It contains a mix of ASL rules and English grammar. The signs used in PSE come from ASL, but they're not used in an ASL-ish way, but rather in a more normal English pattern. However, it turned out that we were really using both Pigeon and SimCom. From What's the Deal with SimCom, written by Gemma Matheson, many deaf people see SimCom as a symbol of oppression and disrespect. This is because the spoken word tends to be chosen as a priority over the sign language. For example, when speaking English and signing ASL at the same time, a person will often speak full English and sign broken ASL. And that's what I found confusing as I tried to learn sign language. I was speaking while signing and being taught both ASL signs and English signs. However, as I came to discover it, ASL is an actual language with its own grammar and structure. An English sign or signed exact English is a system with a sign for every English word in a sentence. It's not a language, but a representation of English. Google's definition for both is ASL, American Sign Language, is a complete, unique language developed by deaf people for deaf people and is used in its purest form by people who are deaf. It not only has its own vocabulary, but also its own grammar that differs from English. Signed Exact English is a system to communicate in English through signs and fingerspelling. The order of signs is in the order that you would speak an English sentence. To this day, if I use my voice while signing, my signing suffers. Shut off my voice and it's like downshifting my hands take off. Imagine speaking English and Swedish, or pick a language, at the same time. Most likely the message will be confusing, if not completely incomprehensible. 
That's what it can be like when you SimCom. As a hearing person using this method, you'll find yourself favoring your natural spoken language or first language. Make mistakes with your signs and will be more inclined to correct spoken word mistakes over your sign mistakes. Some signs are very similar, and using one over another in the wrong context can be the difference between telling a story about a horse, a rabbit, or the devil. <laughs> Throughout the 1990s, the ASL revolution trickled down to all levels of deaf education. It came to our school and saw a wholesale change in our philosophy and staff as we moved towards a bilingual, bicultural educational approach. Older, non-signing or limited-signing teachers resigned, and new ASL-proficient teachers spearheaded a transformation that would become a model for schools across the country. My first exposure to this philosophy came on a visit to the Indiana School for the Deaf. They were at the forefront of this historic change. Um, I was able to witness not only the, how their interpreters were being used, but how two teachers in a classroom, one modeling ASL and the other modeling English, were actualizing this approach for learning two languages, much like school programs that teach both English and Spanish. I was able to see the challenges and tensions among that staff to change with the times as a guest of a faculty meeting. As with my school, there were people who were facing the music. Times were changing and there was no looking back. If you couldn't sign well and accept the school's choice to have all staff and students turn off their voices and only sign during most lessons and in communal public spaces, then you were expendable. When you're young like I was, you can't appreciate the extent of loss for someone who dedicated their career to the students, but was now considered a relic of the old standards with no skills to succeed with the new ones. I can appreciate it now, and I'm sure it was devastating for many. On the other hand, there was an opportunity to give these children a feeling of self, of place, and of community that they were never able to realize in the hearing world they were being taught to fit into. They now had their own recognized language and their own cultural way of living their lives more fully. They were no longer in the background. This was an opportunity to move up the equality ladder in the hearing world and be recognized not as broken, but as deserving of everything hearing people were. This was a time of deaf expression through storytelling with people like Mary Beth Miller and Linda Bove, poetry by people like Patrick Graybill, Bernard Bragg, Dorothy Miles, and Ella Mae Lenz, comedy like artists Jessica Flores and Galvin Lilly, and dramatic plays produced by the likes of the National Theater for the Deaf. There was an explosion of deaf recognition and excitement within the community, and because we had our finger on the pulse, many of these famous people performed at our school and gave small group presentations to our students. It was amazing to watch this celebration unfold and the excitement and life-altering moments for these kids, many coming from families that didn't sign and not due to parental neglect, but more a lack of experience and education for the parents. Credit to my school in that free sign classes were offered to families, and these cultural opportunities were available for them to share with their children. But as you know, it's not always easy when you have to support your family to miss work or find the energy to learn a new language in your spare time. Yet 96% of deaf kids are born to hearing parents. I've always felt the schools needed to provide for these families. So, if you're a new parent of a deaf child, I eagerly suggest seeking services and information about all educational options, ones with sign and ones without, so you can compare and make informed decisions. I took advantage of my circumstance to skirt the outside of the culture in order to get as close as I could to learn about its people and their ways, develop my signing skills more naturally, and make friendships that would enrich my life. One really fun thing I did was to play softball on a team made up mostly of deaf players. 
Many were my friends, and I got to see how they interacted and signed and signed and signed to each other. This was the time before cell phones, so communicating with people outside of your immediate environment was limited. So when there was a chance to socialize, it was a big deal. It was their catch-up time and what would playfully be referred to as deaf time, which meant social events would run way into the night and spill out into parking lots and wherever to continue conversations that fed appetites voracious for stories and information that grew and solidified the community. I learned a lot about timing and patience by playing third base. On a hearing team, if someone hit the ball into the outfield and a runner was coming to third, I would call out, cut three, so the relay player would turn and throw me the ball. When playing on a deaf team, the relay player has their back to you, and so there's nothing to do but wait for him or her to turn around, and then you'd wave for the ball. (laughs) Another funny lesson and cool move from an eight-year-old in my first year of working was when he would close his eyes so he didn't have to listen to me. (laughs) I I thought that was genius. The 90s and into the early 2000s were a ripe time in deaf culture, but it would be interrupted, slowly at first, by a technology that was advancing and would soon be encroaching on this honeymoon period. Cochlear implants are something that I have nothing against. I see their value and they do a lot of good for a lot of people. But to a hearing person out of the know, discovering how giving a person the chance to hear could be a question must seem about as crazy as most conspiracy theories. Why not? The answer is simple and complicated, and I'm not the one to give any definitive explanation, especially now that I've been away for over three years. But 30 years, I believe, gives me some skin in the game. I strongly believe the definitive explanation is rightfully owed to a deaf person who sees their culture being threatened because hearing technology could be seen, and was by many, as the potential end of sign language and, as some referred to it, the genocide of deaf culture. I'm not here to judge, but only to give my perspective on what I saw from where I stood. I saw as the cochlear implants were being distributed in a seeming across-the-board manner, meaning that anyone being diagnosed early on was being recommended for one. Some kids were stars with this new tech. They could learn to speak and comprehend using oral English. But I also saw kids failing terribly, and being placed in new programs where their first language, ASL, would be denied them and result in a regression in their learning. It was frustrating for me to lose some of these students I had so much hope for. But in time, things began to improve with advancements in the technology, and eventually I saw more children succeeding with their new ability to hear and train to listen and speak. And I think that's great. However, what would not be obvious to an outsider is that in order to be fitted for an implant, one must lose any residual hearing left in the ear that was being fitted. That means when the implant is off, the person is profoundly deaf. And this is where I disagreed with the administration that was to arrive in the last years of my tenure. Their decision to stop exposing preschoolers who had no other noticeable impairment other than their hearing to sign language was one that didn't sit well with me, no matter how it was argued that signing delayed speech. I won't go into the opposing philosophies of teaching children sign language versus an auditory approach to communication. That's a whole ball of wax that could be debated until the end of time. But what happened at my school is what I referred to in the opening regarding leadership in deaf schools. We went from having hearing administrators with a background in deaf education who knew how to sign to a school led by someone with no knowledge of deafness and zero signing ability. For someone like myself who had lived through the 90s height, To see this 
gave me some insight into what those Gallaudet students may have felt. There would gradually be a dividing of the school into different models, further segregating the children from one another. This personally broke my heart because the nature of deaf culture is much like the one I saw in Ireland, where the entire family goes to the pub and eats, sings, and dances. The elders tell stories and kids observe and emulate their models. The importance of older deaf kids interacting with younger ones and passing along traditions was no longer possible in a school divided by philosophies. There will be natural leanings for all of us in any matter. In this arena, some of us will agree with one side over the other in terms of language acquisition. My preference is no secret. I would prefer that all deaf children be exposed to sign language and learn it. If not as their first language, my preference, then alongside spoken English. However, I try to remain open because there's no denying people live happy and healthy lives on both sides of the aisle. This is a personal choice. I only contend that both sides be equally represented when families are new to this world. Give parents the choice. And I know that it has not been the case for many years. Perhaps it's changing. When I left teaching, it was not, and the projections for the future maintained that children with hearing potential were not going to be allowed exposure to sign language if it might retard their speech development. But I'll let you decide for yourselves. If I were offered a cochlear implant today, I would prefer not to have one. But that's not a statement about hearing aids or cochlear implants. It's about who you are. Marley Maitland. Today I'm fortunate to work with a deaf couple of a hearing son, which allows me to continue to use my sign skills. I'm grateful because as I watched Troy Coetzer, I felt a pride and a joy in my ability to sign. And it was a reminder of how lucky I was to be a part of the world of my deaf brothers and sisters. And I'm comforted to see that deaf culture is alive and well, and that the language is still as appreciated and relevant as ever. At least I hope that's true. For more information on the Deaf Power Now movement and arguments for and against ASL versus auditory learning, go to my community share page where I will post some articles. This podcast skimmed the surface. The history of sign and the struggles and achievements of deaf people throughout the centuries is a fascinating exploration that I would encourage you to pursue if you're so inclined. Hey folks, it's trivia time once again. So buckle up, put your brain caps on, and take your best shot. Remember, the reward for getting the two questions correct is intrinsic. And what could be better than that? Question number one. The largest population of exceptional learners are the A. Intellectually disabled B. Gifted and talented C. Physically disabled or D. Learning disabled Number two. A student who says, I failed the test because the fire alarm went off in the middle of the test appears to exhibit A. An external locus of control B. An internal locus of control C. An auditory learning style or D. Community safety, sensitivity, and interpersonal intelligence Good luck to you all. And now, today's installation of, you know what? Guess what? Can I tell you something? Children with severe disabilities do not need to attend a special school or center. A common misconception is that severely disabled children should be educated in a center designed for special education. 
By law, a child with special education needs must be educated with non-disabled children, so long as he or she makes reasonable progress in his or her IEP goals with the aid of special supports and services. Only if the child is not making progress in a regular classroom setting will a special program or school be considered. Today's Community Share news comes from Disability Scoop, entitled Biden Budget Calls for Increase in Special Education Spending by Michelle Diamant. Just two weeks after signing a government spending bill featuring more money for special education, President Joe Biden is seeking another big boost in funding for students with disabilities. Biden unveiled his budget proposed earlier this week for the 2023 fiscal year that will begin in October. The budget request includes $16.3 billion for special education and related services for students with disabilities in pre-K through 12th grade. That's $3.3 billion more than in 2021, and it would be the largest ever two-year increase in Individuals with Disabilities Education Act grants to states, according to the White House. In addition, the plan calls for the federal government to double its investment in early intervention services for infants and toddlers with disabilities provided under IDEA to $932 million. The increased funding would support states in implementing critical reforms to expand their enrollment of underserved children, including children of color, children from low-income families, and children living in rural areas, the budget plan states. Biden also wants to more than double funding for IDEA personal preparation grants to $250 million to support a pipeline of special educators in an effort to address the shortages of these teachers in a majority of states. Denise Style Marshall, CEO of the Council of Parent Attorneys and Advocates, a nonprofit that advocates for the rights of students with disabilities and their families, welcomed Biden's proposed investments in special education and noted that the president's plan for IDEA Part B, which covers school-aged children, would support a glide path to full funding in 10 years. The challenge is getting Congress to follow through and support states and schools at these critical levels so that students with disabilities can receive the education they deserve and need, she says. Man, if both sides can come together and do the right thing, in my opinion, this would be a revelation for special education, while also recognizing the value of its teachers who are historically underpaid and underappreciated. Well, put another one in the books. I want to thank you again for listening to this episode, and I hope you'll join me each week to hear about topics close to your heart and welcome fresh and informative insights into areas that are new to you. I'm honored to have this podcast to share with you. All music heard on today's show comes from Jason Shaw at audionautics.com. Remember to follow me on Instagram at Special Ed Rising and on my website, specialedrising.com. If you like the show, please let me know and tell a friend. Also, let me know what you'd like to learn more about. And until next time, peace and keep rising. Music